You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends, your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound, LGB on the LOB, Locked On Browns. Jeff Lloyd, your host here for your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. We are going to break it down here today. We are going to get into the news of Tuesday. Tuesday, again, got a little crazy for the Browns. Certainly some highs on Tuesday, then certainly some lows as the day went on. We are also going to be joined by my good friend from Touchdown Wire, Mark Schofield, as we start opening up to Patriot Week, talking a little bit about the New England Patriots, certainly getting some thoughts from Mark Schofield on one Baker Mayfield. Uh, so your Browns, big news of the day. And of course, everybody, we appreciate you for making Lockdown Browns your first listen, day in, day out, whatever podcast app you use, Lockdown Browns, always available, always free. The major news of Tuesday, after a phenomenal day Sunday in Cincinnati and stringing together uh, his best stretch of football, the 2021 season, four games in a row, we're just grading out like an absolute beast after a phenomenal 2020 season. Wyatt Teller has been extended a four-year contract extension worth in total $56.8 million, $28 million of this money guaranteed. So basically this contract as all contracts are written, you know, uh, the length of the contract is one thing guaranteed money is what it is all about. So on the surface, it is at least a minimum two more years of Wyatt Teller manning the right guard position for the Cleveland Browns beyond the 2021 season. Wyatt Teller has been nothing but extraordinary. And John Dorsey, there were a lot of misses in his time as general manager. Um, but the move to go and acquire Wyatt Teller from the Buffalo Bills, uh, in late summer, 2019, And ironically enough, Wyatt Teller took over as a starter in the New England Patriot game of the 2019 season. It wasn't talked about much then, and his pass protection, you know, certainly needed some work and refinement. But since Wyatt Teller took over, um, and if everybody remembers 2019, the Browns basically had a revolving door at the guard position. I think Wyatt Teller ended up being the fifth option at right guard that year but solidified the position, Um, finished off the 2019 season strong going into 2020. There were some thoughts and talks about a possible battle for the right guard position. Um, But Teller in basically when COVID hit and Wyatt Teller has spoken about this, his dedication to reshaping his body. um, You know, he was always a strong guy, always a physical guy, um, but he knew playing for coach Bill Callahan in this system, the Browns wanted to run on offense he was going to be pulling a lot. So he had to work physically towards getting his body, you know, more athletic and certainly did that. And in 2020, we just saw an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal player, even though there was some missed time um, for Wyatt with an injury. Then, you know, 2021 this year started off a little slow for Wyatt Teller. Also had a string of some big time talented players that he was going against early in the year. Um, But has really hit his mark, you know, as the season's gone on here, he's gotten into his groove. And of course, everybody knows about how well he played Sunday. He is the, I believe it is the number two ranked right guard, if not number one in the NFL. Wyatt is just absolutely taken off um, to get this extension done. And it's kind of interesting. And we've been talking about this a little bit as far as, you know, the way the Browns are probably going to manipulate the salary cap going further. They want to keep this offensive line intact, A, to aid what is a Big, big part of their offense in the running game, whether it's been Nick Chubb, whether it's been Kareem Hunt, obviously, whether it's been Dearness Johnson, and we'll get to all that running back talk here in a minute. But for 
Wyatt Teller in the offensive line, they are going to attribute the money there. Um, the wide receiver position, look, as you guys saw on Sunday, even though Odell Beckham Jr. is gone, there are so many skilled players on this Browns team. They want to get everybody involved, which means that you're not really going to throw a large amount of cash towards the wide receiver position. Um, the contracts with Brown we're currently playing with, with Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr., were not done by this regime. They were not paid out by this regime. Um, so they're riding the course. Obviously, they have you know terminated their ways with Odell Beckham Jr. But Jarvis Landry, um, still a, a huge part of this team, but his salary, of course, is probably not one that is favorable to the front office in Berea. You're going to pay, you know, your star running back, Nick Chubb. You're looking to extend your quarterback, Baker Mayfield, and you want to do everything to keep Baker Mayfield going. You want to do everything you can to keep the running game going. So you, uh, you're going to, you know, obviously the extension to Wyatt Teller proves that there's a lot invested in Jedrick Wills, a former number 10 overall pick. Now in the second season, and Jedrick Wills is really, really starting to pick up his play as the ankle is getting healthier and healthier by the weeks. You saw him moving around really, really well Sunday in Cincinnati against the Bengals. There's talks that Joel Batonio has more money coming to him. There's talks that maybe that's something that's going to get you know, rectified, you know, handled shortly. Um, and maybe we start talking about Joel Batonio finishing his career in Cleveland, which for all parties involved would just be absolutely perfect. We'll see what happens with J.C. Treader and Jack Conklin. Both could be you know, eligible to you know, not be a part of this offensive line in 2021. Um, if you're going to give me a choice, I'd maybe say J.C. Treader, and then let's work on trying to find a right tackle. Um, there's only 32 centers in the NFL, but you can certainly find some way to maybe manipulate the right, right tackle position. But for Wyatt Teller, you know, four years, again, $56.8 million. You're rewarding a player for their work on the field, your work, his work uh, off the field, you know, dedication, you know, listening to Wyatt talk and, you know, hearing him say, you know, what this organization means to him, took a chance on him when he was kind of lost in the shadows in Buffalo. There wasn't an opportunity for him there, which is ironically enough because the Bills really haven't satisfied their guard position since they moved on from Wyatt Teller. But big day um, for Wyatt Teller, kind of funny as he chose to celebrate his news Monday night by going to play Dungeon and Dra Dungeons and Dragons with Johnny Stanton and Miles Garrett. But uh, for, you know, Wyatt and obviously his wife and his family, just, you know, it's, it's a life-changing experience. And it was, you know, rewarded, rewarding hard work. It's rewarding dedication. And Wyatt Teller is now a huge focal point of this Cleveland Browns team today and going further, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, bland basting players and opening up holes for the running game, whether it's keeping the heat off of Baker Mayfield so he can find open receivers down the field uh, <clears throat> within the passing game. It's you, you're happy for Wyatt Taylor. You're happy for the Browns. It was a marriage that needed to keep on going. It's really worked out well for both parties and there was no reason to stop it anytime soon. So Wyatt Taylor, uh, you know, all the best, you know, a player you just want to keep in the fold. Just, you know, again, this is the type of guy, you, you know, the Browns are showing this. You're rewarding the type of players that you want everybody else to be like, whether it's Miles Garrett, whether it's Nick Chubb, and now being Wyatt Taylor, do the work, put in the work, play hard, no BS, no nonsense, and those are the type of guys we want to keep around. So Wyatt Teller, extended four years, $56.8 million. All the best to Wyatt Teller. Now, that was the good news of Tuesday. We're going to get to the bad news here of Tuesday in just a second as the running back room is now dealing with some COVID-19 issues. Then, of course, we're going to sit down with Mark Schofield, Jeff Lloyd, Lockdown Browns. Hey, Cleveland Browns fans. This is Jeff Lloyd with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. Get Upside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use the promo code TOUCHDOWN 
and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Download the app for free. Use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back, and there is no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Again, download the free GetUpside app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN. Moving on to the ying, the yang of Tuesday, and I guess this would be the yang. Um, news broke uh, you know, early, and it's actually funny because as much as we were all celebrating the good news of the Wyatt Teller contract extension, out came the bad news. Nick Chubb, Demetric Felton, and this is after running back John Ke- Kelly uh, was put on the COVID list on Monday, on Tuesday, added to the COVID-19 list, Nick Chubb, Demetric Felton. Both players are vaccinated. Both players still have a chance to play Sunday in New England. Um, The catch is going to be both players are going to have to put together two straight negative COVID-19 tests, 24 hours apart. Um, And you've seen the way this has worked with most teams. And, you know, over the last season and or two, we've, you know, monitored this and we've all started to get a little bit better with it. Um, They are eligible to play as vaccinated players as long as they string together the negative tests. Nobody's going to tell us about a first negative test uh, will only get an announcement whether or not they have been removed from the COVID-19 list. We will not probably get that news till later in the week. Players are going to be tested daily. And, you know, just that that's where the protocol is with the Browns. When you have your COVID-19 breakout um, situation in 2021, it goes back to 2020, where everybody now has to mask up. They will be test done daily. The news um, dropped later in the day. Um, Dearness Johnson obviously deemed a close contact to, you know, two running backs. Um, so Dearness Johnson right now is eligible to do everything the Browns want him to do. He will be subjugated to daily testing as well. Um, needs to continue to test negative. So he has his opportunity to play Sunday and it could be a big opportunity again for Dearness Johnson as he could be the Browns starting running back Sunday in Foxborough against the Patriots here. Now in lies the issue. Currently, right now on the Browns roster at the running back position, they have Dearness Johnson, and that's it. They signed Brian Hill yesterday to the practice squad. Brian Hill was drafted in the fifth round of the 2017 NFL Draft. I was a huge, huge fan of Brian Hill. Uh, Played his college ball at Wyoming. Uh, He was there for the um, final uh, he was there for the first year of Josh Allen. Um, then, you know, twenty eighteen, the twenty seventeen season. Obviously, Josh Allen, you know, put up uh, you know a decent year, which led to him, you know, being drafted. It was by the Buffalo Bills. Uh, didn't play a ton in his time with Atlanta. You know, was basically a second or third running back, depending on injury. Never really got a true opportunity, but a hundred carries in the NFL, four point seven yards per carry. Um, he is now on the practice squad, and obviously, it looks all signs are pointing that if you know you can't get a John Kelly, you can't get a Demetri Felton, you don't get a Nick Chubb for Sunday, um, you're going to see Brian Hill in some sort of capacity you know, playing for the Cleveland Browns on Sunday, again, against the Patriots. Um, but herein lies the rub of the situation. Um, when you get to players like Demetri Felton, you get to players like Ernest Johnson, players who do more than one thing. Demetri Felton obviously takes part in wide receiver meetings. Demetri Felton obviously takes part in special teams meetings. So this is where the Browns could have an issue maybe today, Wednesday, Thursday, going further of other a either A, infected players, or B, 
close contacted players, Demetri Felton in wide receiver meetings. So the wide receiver room could be affected in special teams meetings, which means, you know, players there could be affected, which could lead to players affecting their own positional meetings afterwards. Um, not really the best situation for the Browns right now, feeling good about themselves after a big win in Cincinnati, five and four, you know, getting the ship right, you know, leveling the team focus and getting back to work here as they moved on from Odell Beckham Jr. Um, this could be certainly something that can disrupt the apple cart. Um, you don't want that as you are headed to New England to play this game. You know, England's New England has won three straight. Um, they are, you know, found a nice groove here in their, you know, post Tom Brady life in New England. You know, Mac Jones, regardless of his actions on Sunday in Carolina, um, he's doing what's asked of him. He's not losing ball games as a rookie quarterback. They have a strong running game. So the Browns, this is something you're certainly gonna have to <clears throat> Keep your eyes and your ears on going through the rest, uh, you know, of this week, you know, as we do, you know, with these COVID times and the pandemic, the way it is. But this could be, you know, certainly a, a daunting, daunting task. The Patriots have a very, very good defense. Um, you have to run the ball. I mean, it's really difficult to just go anywhere and throw the ball 50 times in a football game. And, you know, the Browns, I mean, look, if you can get at least a earnest and maybe Demetri Felton, you're feeling good about yourselves, you obviously want and need Nick Chubb, who is the best player, you know, uh, the best running back you have, and coming off a phenomenal week Sunday in, in Cincinnati. Um, it looks like all signs of the injury are now past him, but it's a wait-and-see approach. Uh, we're not going to know. And then the other thing is, is, you know, the Browns do have a plane to catch on Saturday. Um, you know, they'll be flying out to Foxborough on Saturday. So you need these negative tests done and handled by Saturday so you can get these players back in the game. Uh, you know, back ready to go. So again, you know, as great as great as Tuesday was on a Wyatt Teller contract extension, and the news of that was obviously fantastic. Um, the running back room getting this COVID hit uh, is certainly, certainly demoralizing and hurting. Kareem Hunt would be eligible to come off the injury list this week. Um, but, you know, watching the way he went down uh, in that game against Arizona, I don't know if the body's ready for it. You know, we'll hear more on Wednesday from Coach Stefanski about uh, both he and Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa, who is also slated to come off of injured reserve this week. Um, my guess, you know, I honestly believe maybe neither already Kareem's injury was pretty serious. Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa, the high ankle sprain is a, a difficult, difficult injury to, you know, to maneuver and navigate and certainly playing the linebacker position. You know, kudos to Jedrick Wills for doing it at the offensive line position. Um, but you also don't have to be you know, moving around nearly as much as somebody like Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa has to be. So again, you know, up late your uh, Browns, two biggest stories at this point, you know, Wyatt Teller extended, um, Wyatt Teller happy, the Browns happy, you're going to get to continue this relationship, talks on Joe Batonio, um, you know, an extension in the works that could be handled, put to bed here shortly as well. And the Browns have a COVID situation and a grave one right now at the running back position, heading into a big, big, important game against New England Sunday in Foxborough. This is Jeff Lloyd. We're going to continue on here. Um, on your Locked On Browns. We're going to get to Mark Schofield next. Talk some New England Patriots uh, right after this. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. If you haven't tried a Built Bar by now, you were missing out. They say it's a protein bar, but it does not taste like one. You have to try one of these amazing bars yourself to believe it. Most protein bars are chalky or waxy or just plain hard to choke down. A Built Bar is soft, covered in 100% real chocolate. And when you bite into it, you know you're eating something different. It's more of an experience. One that you'll enjoy. In fact, you'd swear you were eating candy bar. Built Bars are low-carb, low-calorie, low-fat, low-sugar, and high in protein. So all the healthy benefits on top of just being purely delicious. So many flavors. Another thing about that's so great about the Built Bar is there are so many mouth flavors, including coconut, raspberry, mint brownie, coconut almond, salted caramel, 
double chocolate and cherry barcia. This month, November, obviously Black Friday. Uh, so everybody trying to get those specials out. Built is coming out with a new limited time flavor every three to four days. So check their website often. You don't want to miss out. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. Again, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. And we're going to continue on here. As I said, Mark Schofield going to join us here from Touchdown Wire. You know, everybody from Locked On. Everybody remembers Mark. Mark was here back in the day. Um, appreciate, as always, everybody making Locked On Browns your first listen. Um, Mark, um, this is an interesting one here. Um, obviously, the Browns, you know, news yesterday, fingers crossed. So it's hard to totally get in the X's and O's of this, you know, as we still have to do here two seasons later on, you know, who's going to be available, who's not going to be available come Sunday. Um, but tell me a little bit about the Patriots here. Um, you know, McC- Mr. McCorkle Jones, as we'll go by the, uh, cause we screwed up his first name so many times. He'll always be McCorkle now. Um, I think they found like a comfort zone for him. And this is what you get so many times with, with teams. It's you're either not putting enough on the rookie's plate. You're putting too much on his plate, but this is Bill Belichick. He's no fool. He knows what he's doing. And he's just basically saying, this is what I need you to do and don't screw it up. But let's talk a little bit about the evolution and the growth here of you know, uh, of Mac Jones here as we head into week 10. Yeah, Jeff, I, I think that's a good place to start. And what's been interesting sort of watching the evolution of Mac McCorkle Jones is that early in the season, the four letters that were thrown about regarding him were a dot average depth of target. A lot of Patriots fans were really concerned that look, Sure, they got a win in week two against the Jets, but he was averaging three yards per attempt. Like, he's not pushing the ball downfield. Is he too conservative? Are they handling him with kid gloves? Are they worried about him from a developmental standpoint? And I think over the past couple of weeks, and I would say more than anything else, his game against the Chargers two weeks ago, you saw him start to push the ball downfield a little bit more. He had a throw in that Chargers game where he had curl flat to the two tight ends, Henry in the curl, Smith in the flat. The, the flat route from Smith was wide open, and the, the curl was basically doubled with the way, the way the coverage played out. And I think Jones from week two, week three, would have just taken that flat route and just thrown it and said, look, I'm just going to check this down. But instead, he reset himself and hit Aguilar in a deep crosser from the left side, working left to right for like a 45-yard gain. And that, to me, Jeff, sort of sums up Jones's development because, like, like I said, three weeks ago, maybe even you know four weeks ago, He's not throwing that route. He's going to take that check down. He's going to just live to fight the next play. And that's what they were asking him to do. But they, they've let him sort of push the ball downfield more. Last week against Carolina, I, I think that was, a uh, you know, not t- too much you could take from that game. They get the three picks. They had the pick six. They didn't need Jones to do too much offensively. It was really a lot of, you know, quick game stuff, three-step stuff, a lot of spaced stick, things like that, where they're just asking him, look, just get it out of your hands. And you know Carolina, they've got those, you know, double A-gap mug looks where they're really sort of showing you pressure, where they're, you know, trying to get you to get out of your comfort zone. And so they just sort of played the quick game stuff with them, and, and that's fine. But I think the biggest piece with Jones is, the stuff they're doing with him at the line of scrimmage, they're letting them set protections. He's involved in all of that. A lot of younger quarterbacks, you know, the center takes a big role in setting protections, Mike calls and things like that. Jones is doing it and he's doing it at a pretty good level. They've had some mix-ups with protections early in the year. You know, you had the Brian Burns sack and I think that was more the tackle and the tight end than anything Jones did in terms of setting the protections. So that's been impressive to me, Jeff. And so, you're right. They found a comfort zone with him. 
They have the things that they want them to do. It's very much a ball control passing game, run game offense, win with the defense, very reminiscent of how they handled Brady when Brady was starting out. And it's working for them right now. And overall, Jeff, we're seeing a Patriots team start to figure out who they are, where they want to be, what they want to do. As we get into November and December, we've seen this before from some Belichick teams where September, October, you're kind of feeling things out. You get into November and December, you know what you want to be and you do that stuff well. Uh, it's kind of funny that you put it that way. Cause it's always, you know, basically, you know, just leveling it out. All right. This is working. This isn't worth throw that out. All right. Let's add a little sprinkle, a little bit of this in. And I think that in, from a perspective, I, I think there's not much of a big difference between the way the Browns view things and the way the Patriots view things, because, and this is the thing, and this is what gets Baker Mayfield talked about the way he does you know, everybody wants to say, Oh, you look at the numbers. Oh, well, at Mahomes, you know, you want 400 yards a game. You're right. going to be ignorant to ignore the other aspects of your team. The Browns, now, after extending Wyatt Teller, they have two guards making, you know, both north of $10 million. You have a center making that type of money. You invested in your left tackle. You invested in your right tackle, who's currently hurt. You have a fantastic running game. You're starting to put together some pieces on defense. It's not about throwing for 400 yards and five scores. Right. It's what right. do I got to do to win today? And it sounds like a catchy phrase that, you know, fans get caught into and, you know, it's one game at a time. It's just win on Sunday, but this is literally how it is. And why do I have to do more than I need to, if I'm going to reach the end result? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, the smart teams, the smart organizations are the ones that look at what they do, look at their roster, identify what they do best and focus on that. Like if, if you're trying to do something because you think that's the way the league is trending, Sometimes it might work. Sometimes it might not. Like if you've built out a stout offensive line, a multiple tight end package offense, a lot of play action ball control stuff, and then you just like say, no, what? We're going to run out five wide receivers and spread it and throw it all the time because that's where the league is going. They're not going to be successful. You know, and I, I think there are a lot of parallels between Cleveland and New England right now in a sense because they're using a lot of multiple two and three tight end packages. They're relying on the run game at times. They're using the play-action passing game. They're looking at their defense and saying, okay, maybe we can't get stops on every drive, but we'll limit the damage. We'll, you know, bend, don't break, things like that. That's how you can win in the NFL right now. I mean, certainly there are teams that are going in a different direction. You know, you look at teams like the Rams, you look at some teams that are really sort of trying to spread your out, spread to run, spread to throw Arizona, another one like that as well. But you can still, if this is the personnel you've assembled, win the way that Cleveland and New England are winning right now. And, and particularly in New England's case, you have a young rookie quarterback that let's face it, like there are going to be some ups and downs. Like there have been some games, some decisions some throws, some reads from Jones where it's like, yep, that's definitely a rookie quarterback figured out life in the NFL. Um, you might have to build a round him to sort of prop him up early in his career. And that's what the Patriots are doing with Jones. And you look at honestly the weapons and it's not like it's this killer cast of weapons anyway. Right. Um, but you look at the end result, uh, you know, completion percentage right around 68. I mean, you couldn't ask for more on um, the teams on a three game winning streak. I mean, you know, check, check, check. It's all working out. And I mean, obviously this is stuff we talk about with Bill all the time. Um, uncharacteristically, I think for the Patriots in the offseason, broke out the checkbook. This doesn't oh, happen. Yeah. This doesn't happen very often, which was kind of, you know, inter- you know, signing tight ends. I do want to talk a bit about the defense here, though. You know, uh, Judon, I think, you know, you're looking at he's probably going to have the best year of his career here. 
and again a little bit different in the way you know do things and again look you have to adapt um you know they had this calling card for 17 18 seasons with tom brady where you know we can pretty much put everything out there and we'll find a way to get ourselves to january minimum but you bring in a player like judon and the defense has always been good well coached and not necessarily laden with stars on the defensive side of the ball here but Judon, Judon coming in here at nine sacks to this point. Um, Kyle Duggar in second year. It looks like there's evolution in his play. Let's get a little talk here on the Patriots defense to this point, Matt. Yeah, it, you're talking about evolutions, Jeff. There's an evolution underway with the Patriots defense because historically Bill Belichick has been a man cover one, man free kind of guy. Like that's where he wants to live. And you'll have variations of it, whether it's cross, whether it's just robber, you know, however you want to play it. But he wants to live on that man coverage island. And through weeks one through seven, like nobody played more man coverage from a down to down basis than the New England Patriots. But the past two weeks, you know, obviously the game against the, the Chargers and Justin Herbert and then last week against Arnold. Nobody played more zone coverage than the New England Patriots. You know, last week against Darnold, I, I think 30 snaps in cover two, 20-something in cover three, just eight in cover one. They have become a more zone coverage team the past couple of weeks. And, you know, Belichick was asked about it. Evan Lazar over at CLNS Media. I love Evan. He asked him about it. And Belichick said, you know, you know, my son Steve does a good job at sort of mixing things up, man, zone pressure stuff, you know. So we're, we're going to figure things out week to week. But I think this is where they want to be right now, Jeff. I think they want to play zone. And part of the reason they could do that is because of, like you said, a guy like Matthew Judon. They can get pressure with four or even five up front at times. They don't have to go zero blitz like they had done at times. They don't have to go man-free and bring pressure at times. Judon's been extremely effective. You know, they, they've also got guys that are contributing on the opposite edge. Like Josh Uche, Kyle Van Noy, who's back, Jamie Collins, who's back. And obviously had the interception of, of Donald, an extremely athletic play. But they can get pressure with light boxes up front. They can get pressure with four up front. Judon is a huge part of that. And they can play zone looks behind it. And they can do some different things schematically. They can spin the safeties at, snap, at the snap. They can even just sort of drop into country cover two, cover three, and expect that a quarterback will make a mistake because they're going to get some pressure up front. And I think that's been a big part of particularly the last two weeks, what they've been able to do on the defensive side of the ball. And that's something they're going to want to continue. I mean, it's, it's the age old recipe, right, Jeff? How do you stop a, a, an offense? If you're a defense, get pressure with four drop seven into coverage. Like, like it's, it's the easiest, like little, like Pat wrote that you could say, like, if you're previewing a game, well, how do you beat the chiefs? How do you beat the bills? How do you beat whoever get pressure with four? I mean, if you could do it, you're going to be successful. I mean, that's something that Cleveland can do. They, you can get pressure with four up front with the guys that you've got, and you can drop seven into coverage. Now, if you're the opposing offense, you think, well, we got to keep the tight end in. Maybe the tight end has to chip and release. Maybe we keep the back in. Now you're starting to think about, you know, maybe you only have three in the concept, running against seven in the secondary, but they can still get pressure with four. That's a tough way to live as an offense. And so both Cleveland and New England, I think, are similar in that respect where they can get pressure with the guys up front, they can drop seven into coverage, and they can have things covered up with the numbers in the back end and still get pressure with the guys they've got in the front end. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for the Browns, and obviously the Patriots, um, it looks like it's come sometime, most of the time get pressure with one. So yeah, certainly aids things up and makes things a little bit easier. I'm going to pick your brain here a little bit Browns-wise. And this was, you know, the craziest thing about, you know, the events of last week, you know, when I reached out to, I could, you know, to I could, who I could after, you know, the Browns had made their final decision that they were going to move on from Odell Beckham Jr. And there were people that said, you know, if Odell didn't tip the hand last Tuesday, the Browns were ready. They, they had no thoughts of basically ending this. They were going to ride it out, which is crazy enough on its face because, I mean, you know, there would have been decisions made about this franchise going further off of, you know, basically one player 
really, really disrupting the apple cart. And look, I mean, anybody who wants to say, you know, look, every, and this is where I'm getting tired, and you know, Odell Elite, look, we have no idea what Odell Beckham Jr. is anymore. Look, he still may be one of the best receivers in the NFL. But without proof, you certainly cannot, you know, have a determination on that. But Mark, just a little bit, I mean, it's so stark. I mean, and it's literally, I mean, you don't have to draw the line. The line is there. Baker Mayfield as a quarterback when Odell Beckham Jr. isn't playing for the Cleveland Browns is a really, really great quarterback. When Odell Beckham Jr. is playing for the Browns, something, I don't know if it's, you know, something that just weighs on his brain, whatever happens, he is just not the same player. Odell tipped their hands, but talk about that, Mark. The relationship between a quarterback and a wide receiver, and, you know, I guess everybody just kinds of thinks it's Madden where, you know, you plug it in and it's going to work out. But the Browns did everything they could for, you know, 29 games. And what they found is, you know, basically they were trying to put a tire with five lug nuts on a hub that only had four. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's weird, Jeff, because, you know, Odell, like you just sort of said, you know, we don't know exactly what he is because of what's been happening in Cleveland right now. But, you know, talent wise, he's still one of the more talented receivers in the league. Six and 13 just could never seem to click. You know, there are times when 13 was open and six wasn't looking his way, you know, and, and Seth Galita at Pro Football Focus did a really good video breaking down how part of it is Stefanski issue and the usage and implementation of Odell. There are a lot of concepts where he was either the backside dig guy off of a three by one, or he was the vertical guy and Odell wasn't getting his eyes there. He, he, if, if he's got a three receiver concept to the left and Odell's the backside dig, he's not coming off that concept to, to, to get to the backside dig. And so if Odell is open, that's great for him. Quarterback's not looking there. Or if he's the vertical stretch on a horizontal concept, quarterback's not looking there. And then there were times when Baker looked at him and threw it his direction. He had a drop against the Chargers early in that game on a fourth down where the two couldn't connect. But you also had, you know, the next week against Arizona where slant route on fourth down, it's designed to go to Odell early in the game. And Baker looks at him off of it. Like, for whatever reason, these two couldn't get on the same page. And, you know, if it, it comes down to the fact that Baker just wasn't quite comfortable either looking in his direction or throwing to him or didn't trust him or whatever. You know, the organization finally just decided, look, we're going to go in the direction where we're going to do what makes Baker comfortable. And if it's separated and ends in that relationship, like that's what you have to do. I mean, look, I'm Mr. Quarterback, right? Like, I think there are 32 first round quarterbacks in every NFL draft. Like, <laughs> I'm going to side on the side of the quarterback. You know this, Jeff. And I know you're Mr. Wide Receiver. Like, I remember back in the draft Twitter days, like there was one guy early on Odell and it was you. And so, look, these are two talented players. Um, I, I think... The organization looked at it and said, like, you, the numbers don't lie. Baker was a more effective passer when Odell wasn't on the field. You have an offense that could ground game, multiple tight end stuff. Some of their best plays come out of 13 personnel. Is there room even to have Odell in that sort of offense? And if you if you can look at your organization, your offense, your roster construction, and think separated, this might be better for all parties, then I think that's what you end up doing, and that's what they did. Yeah, and I, I've gone on this with them and, you know, with, you know, fans and listeners and people on Twitter. They're going to look to start building wide receiver rooms similar to what worked best for Tom Brady. You want smart, intelligent yeah. players who run good routes and are going to be on time. That is the key. Because I'm going to go through my progressions. You better be there. And the fact that they're deep everywhere skill-wise, it, it, it limits the fact that, look, I can't afford to throw it to you 13 to 14 times. It's just the way it is. And certainly, you know, when the Browns, you know, had some of these games where they weren't winning, 
Um, we don't have time to, to focus on you. Look, we're already down seven. So if I try to focus on you on this drive, we give the ball back to them. You know, guess what? It could be 10. It could be 14. And now we're in a hole we're most likely not going to get out of the way they were playing. I do appreciate Mr. Mark Schofield here for his time. Um, obviously, a crazy, crazy day Browns-wise. Let's see. Recap here. Wyatt Teller. Yay! Extended. COVID comes to the Browns. Oh. Um, so it's been crazy Tuesday here again. Um, getting some thoughts here from Mark, obviously, on Baker, on the Patriots, as you know, we start to turn the eyes towards Foxborough on Sunday. Jeff Lloyd, your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the yellow B. Let's go Browns.